I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. My name is William. I go to PS216, and I'm 11 years old. One of my favorite desserts in the world is butter cookies. When we have butter cookie day, you will always see me asking someone for butter cookies. I give my whole lunch away for butter cookies. Once I had six packs of butter cookies before. Did your mom know about this? Nope. (laughs) Never told her. She'd probably freak out. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. School is back in session. And when I was in school, there was one part of the day that was usually my favorite. Maybe you can guess what it was. Lunch, of course. But now, as a parent, school lunch has become kind of a drag. My wife Janie and I have to figure out what to pack for our two daughters every day. They're always eating. It's like, didn't we just give you lunch yesterday? We're barely a month into the school year, and I'm out of ideas. So later on in the show, I'm going to talk to my old friend, Kenji Lopez-Alt, cookbook author and recipe developer who writes for Serious Eats in the New York Times. And he's going to tell me about his secrets to packing lunch for his kids using a product that's gotten a lot of attention and a little pushback lately, the bento box. But let's face it, lunchtime's about a lot more than the food. At school, lunch is the closest you get to being on your own. It's your chance to hang out with your friends with minimal supervision. I always wonder what my kids are doing at lunch. But if I showed up at their cafeteria, I don't think that would fly. So a few years ago, I did the next best thing. I went to PS216 in Brooklyn. I started off talking with a fifth grader named Danya. So who do you usually sit with at lunch? Um, I actually sit with some of my friends, Stephanie and Christina and sometimes Nina. Do you guys play together outside of school too? So you guys are like all best friends. Yeah. And what do you like to talk about at lunch? Um, we sometimes talk about life. (laughs) Like what? Um... Like, what are you going to do in the future? What school, what middle school do you want to go to? So when it's your turn to talk about what you want to do in the future, what do you say? I want to be a teacher. After Danya, I talk with William, another fifth grader. He's the kid you heard earlier who loves butter cookies. His mom always packs fruit with his lunch. If I'm lucky, I'll have apples and oranges and maybe grapes. Which do you like better, apples or oranges? Compare oranges. them for me. Oranges. Really? Oranges. Why? Why do you like oranges better? Because they're, um, they're juicier and you can just eat them whole and you don't have to um, worry about the rough skin. Yeah. You ever take the orange wedges and like kind of let them sit out for a little bit and they get a little bit dry and crusty on the outside but still super juicy on the inside? Sometimes. Sometimes if I get the wedges or just a regular orange, I'll just leave it in the freezer so, um, sometimes and then take it out in 10 minutes and then eat it. How did you discover that? I just once, I just once was like, you know what? I wonder what would happen if I put an orange in the freezer. <laughs> 10 minutes later, there you go. You'll be surprised, but it's actually juicier than a regular orange. Really? And it's kind of crunchy. 
William likes to sit with his best friend Timothy and a few other friends, but they can't always sit with him. Sometimes they can't because I'm really, really allergic to peanut butter. Oh, so you so so those kids can't sit too close to you. Yeah. When you see other kids sitting far away eating peanut butter foods, how do you feel about that? I'm not in danger. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. Um, what do you guys talk about at lunch? We usually play this game called Minecraft. I hear some of the girls at their lunch table, they talk about the future and what they're going to do with their lives. Do you guys ever talk about that? Nope. Because <laughs> none of us know what we're going to do. <laughs> some of us want to be computer geniuses. Some of us want to be programmers. Some of us want to create new ideas. Some of us want to save this world. Sometimes in the cafeteria, who sits where creates drama. Gina is another fifth grader. She said kids switch tables when they're in a fight with someone. So, fifth grade, we have prom. And, um, you know, I don't know why, but they start like, oh, I want to go out with her. No, what? I asked first. No, you can't. You can't do that. I asked first. And then they start fighting with each other. And then the girls have to, like, avoid them to just get away with them because they're like, who do you want more, me or him? And then I'm just standing over there watching. And I'm, uh, think, I'm thinking to myself, why is this happening? Are you going to the prom? I'm, go- I'm going with my friends because I have no intention of going with a boy because I'm too young. Too young. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't just at PS216 to hang out with some awesome fifth graders. There was another reason. All across New York City, big changes were happening in school lunchrooms. Schools were getting rid of their plastic sporks. Tragic, I know. But with good reason, they were replacing them with compostable utensils. And you gotta realize, New York City schools serve over a million meals a day. That adds up to a lot of sporks. So in New York City alone, we use 124 million sporks a year. This is Stephen O'Brien, director of food and menu management for New York's public schools. Part of his job was to lead the transition from sporks to compostable forks and knives, which are better for the environment and more like what most kids use at home. Schools had already replaced their square styrofoam trays with compostable round plates, but they hadn't yet decided which type of compostable utensils to buy. And New York wasn't alone. They were teaming up with school districts in L.A., Chicago, Miami, Dallas, and Orlando to make one of the biggest utensil purchases in history. So we'd be talking about a purchase of somewhere in the realm of 500 million utensils being used in all of these cities combined. Per year. Per year. So clearly, this is a big decision. Literally hundreds of millions of utensils are waiting to hear their fate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that cost is a huge concern, as it should be. Public school budgets, I know, are tight. Mm -hmm. Beyond cost, what are the other considerations that you're looking at? So when we've done some initial research, for example, we found that some of the compostable utensils melted. We found that some of the compostable utensils broke. Do you have like a team of fifth graders like in a (laughs) lab who are just like banging forks against a plate? We actually do. Really? So in New York City schools, we have a taste testing group that comes to our headquarters office twice a week. We see about 2,000 students a year who develop the products that we offer in our schools. I wondered how students were feeling about these changes. 
Danya, the fifth grader you heard from earlier, told me she's had some issues with the new compostable plates. When you have macaroni and cheese or chicken, the wet part like, stays on the table and we have to clean it up. And in the foam, like, all we have to do is just eat and throw it in the trash can. So you said mac and cheese is what always bleeds through? Yeah. Mm, that's, that's a problem. You could like put a leaf of lettuce on the plate and then put the mac and cheese on top of the lettuce leaf, and that would create a barrier to help protect oh. the, the plate. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's smart. Now, Danya, I don't know if you know about this, but they're, they're probably going to be changing the spork at some point. Um, yes. Have you heard about this? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, I feel weird because we got used to the sporks that they created, the fork and the spoon, but like, when they... When they will create a new one, I would like, we think it would be a waste. It's a pro and it's a con. Danya says the pro is that the new forks and knives would be compostable. The con is that the kids will use two utensils in every meal instead of just one. She's pretty sharp. Stephen O'Brien said that sauce is not actually seeping through the plates. It's that the plates are more breathable. So when the heat from the food on the plate hits the cold table, there's steam, which creates condensation on the table. The moisture kids see is condensation, not sauce. Still, I pitched him on my line your plate with lettuce campaign. I figured the cooler lettuce could be a temperature buffer and reduce condensation. I would actually take it a step further. As a chef, I would be looking for it to be spinach because then you would end up having the spinach wilt a little bit and you would have cheesy spinach, sort of like a cream spinach. Oh, are you a chef? Yes. Oh, wow. That's And I'm not, and you can tell the difference. Just see. There you go. <laughs> that's why you figured that out so, and I didn't. <laughs> but I wouldn't have thought of that unless you actually started with your concept first. Okay, see, that's a creative ideas, that's brainstorming. It. So keep your eyes peeled for the big line your plate with spinach campaign. It's not quite as alliterative as line your plate with lettuce, but it is healthier. Coming soon to a school near you. Maybe. Now, my visit to PS216 and to see Stephen actually happened a few years ago. More recently, New York City schools signed a five-year contract for compostable cutlery and began rolling out these new forks and knives all over the city. And Stephen O'Brien got promoted to Director of Strategic Partnerships and Policy. Congratulations, Stephen. Coming up after the break, we hear some of your school lunch stories. And then my friend Kenji Lopez-Alt shares his strategies for using his favorite school lunch accessory, the bento box. Stick around. And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool, Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com. 
where travels come true. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line... They take cruising to another level, and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I'm feeling great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button-down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Check out last week's show where I speak with Natasha Legero and Moshe Kasher. They're married comedians who have a podcast where they dispense advice to couples. So I figured I'd put them to work. I had my wife Janie call in and asked Natasha and Moshe to weigh in on some issues. What do you guys fight about the most that is not your fault? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is my fault. <laughs> Can Natasha and Moshe save our marriage? You'll have to listen to find out. That episode's up now. Check it out. Okay, back to the show. A little while back, we asked for your memories from school lunch, and you sent in so many good ones. Here's Kate in North Dallas. When I was in third grade, 
all I wanted was to be accepted by this particular group of guys. They were super cool. They were super smart. I probably had crushes on most of them. <laughs> and one of the ways that I could impress them was to take them up on food dares. And the one I remember being the most impressive to them was when they dared me to take a small cup of chocolate milk and put pepper and salt and pickles into it and drink the whole thing and eat the pickle too. And I did it and they were grossed out and I was awesome, at least for that day. That was great, although I was hoping that story would end with, and now we're married and we served pickled chocolate milk at our wedding. Anyway, not all lunch stories are so triumphant. Like for Joanne, who grew up in the Bay Area. She's Filipino-American. And one day in kindergarten, her grandmother packed lunch for her. Inside the lunchbox, she found... Steamed rice, sweet sausages called longanisa, and that infamous blood stew called dinaguan. It sounds like a horror movie, but it is one of the most delicious dishes I've ever had in my entire life. By the time lunchtime came, my lunch had already gotten cold and the rice got hard and, and the blood stew coagulated. So of course, you know, I needed to get it heated up. My teacher forced me to go to the eighth grade class because it was the only classroom that had a microwave. I already was a nervous kindergartner but walking into a classroom full of upperclassmen made me even more anxious. I handed my Tupperware to the eighth grade teacher and she proceeded to open the lid and look in there, which I didn't want her to do. She twitched her nose and made this look that made me not want to bring Filipino food to my class ever again. It was safe to say that after that, I bought school lunch rather than bring any more Filipino food to class. So school lunch can be high stakes for kids, creating memories that last a lifetime. But as I said, it can also be stressful for parents. As a parent, you want to pack your kids something healthy with a little variety. You want to try to make sure they're actually going to eat it and all in the relatively short amount of time they have for lunch. On top of all that, this meal has to be easy enough that you can crank it out quickly every day. Enter the school lunch bento box. Now, of course, bento boxes are not new. They've been a part of Japanese food culture for centuries. But they are having a bit of a moment on social media thanks to the popularization of plastic bento boxes made specifically for kids and grown-ups to take their lunch in. Now, a bento box is basically a tray with a bunch of different compartments, all different sizes, which is the way that traditional Japanese bento boxes are laid out. Honestly, I find, you know, having the bento box itself, just like the physical divided box actually makes packing lunch a lot easier for me because I follow kind of like a blueprint and I don't really have to think too much about it. If you have those compartments there, you don't really have to think about portion size because it's all pre-portioned for you. This is food writer Kenji lopez All A few months ago, I saw him posting pictures on Instagram of bento box lunches that he was packing for his kids. He also wrote a story about his bento box lunches for the New York Times. Now, this isn't a new fad for Kenji. His grandmother, who emigrated to the U.S. from Japan, would make him bento box meals as a kid using Tupperware. But as bento boxes have become a bit of a fad on social media, I do worry that some people may be getting a little carried away. There are some folks with the bento boxes, and they're like carving cucumbers into penguins. Yeah. They have a <laughs> carrot flower with a blueberry center. Yep. 
and rose petals carved from tomatoes. It gets a lot of likes on Instagram. Right. I will admit that I'm skeptical. Uh, first of all, like who has the time? I mean, the people who have the people who have the time to do that are the people who are able to monetize that on Instagram, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and can rationalize spending the time to do it because they're making money. Yeah, <laughs> right. If your job is to turn uh, cucumbers into penguins for your kids' lunchbox, yeah. then maybe it's worth the time. I don't do that. Sometimes I will do like a little. I might cut like a little carrot into a flower. You know, that takes thirty seconds for me to do. You know, I might. Very rarely, I might cut like a an apple into like a little rabbit, which I remember my mom used to do, and that that's just like cutting two little slits and peeling up the skin. But sometimes I'll turn a, a little breakfast sausage into an octopus. I, you know what I do try and do sometimes is add like a little bit of a colorful garnish. So like I might just like if I put like some like melon cubed up melon in there, like I'll give it a little like drizzle of olive oil and like you know throw a couple. Mint leaves or basil leaves in there if I have them. Yeah, the, the longer you talk, Kenji, the more you're sounding like one of these influencers. But I, but I would, well, <laughs> but that's like, that's just like, I got the olive oil right there. Right. The things that I will do are things that both look pretty and add some kind of flavor element to it that I think would make lunch interesting or fun for my kid. Right. But also you have to know your kid, right? Like if your kid's not the kind of kid who's going to want some mint leaves on their melon, then don't put the mint leaves on the melon. <laughs> My daughter, Emily, loves to put her food together. She loves assembly. So mm -hmm. I would love to give her something that gave her some freedom at lunch to take different components oh, yeah. and mix and match. Obviously, look, there's a, re a big reason why Lunchables were such a hit when we were kids was because kids felt empowered to assemble the food themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. Giving kids, whether it's in lunchboxes or at dinner time, like giving them agents, like some amount of agency is really useful. So whether it's a DIY thing, so like if I'm giving her like a tuna sandwich, she'll probably like it better if the bread's separate and the tuna salad's in a compartment and she can put it on herself, you know? Or like sometimes in the morning, I'll say like, hey, like Alicia, do you want like blueberries or orange slices? And, you know, so you like a little choice here and there where, where they feel like they're in control because, you know, kids feel like they're, I mean, and they are just constantly being told what they can and can't do. And there are barriers around them all the time. And so I feel like any chance you can give for a kid to like safely express some level of control over their own destiny is like appreciated by them. <laughs> now, Kenji, I know that uh, as a person who um, writes articles and posts on social media, you, you've heard the old rule, don't read the comments. <laughs> but I couldn't resist looking at the comments on uh, on the New York Times website. Oh, geez. I, I didn't look at those. But <laughs> <laughs> you follow I mean, the I have seen other New York Times comments and New York Times yeah. comments sections are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that there were some very positive comments. A lot of people loved your Bento Box article and added their own suggestions. Mm -hmm. But let's not focus too much on those because they're not as much fun, right? <laughs> the comments that skew negative are really all saying some version of one of two things, which is either what parent has the time to do this or my kids aren't going to eat all those vegetables. Yeah, kids aren't going to eat those vegetables with that attitude. <laughs> The, the phrase that I, I really dislike is when some, like an adult tells a kid, you're not going to like that, or you're not, like whether it's food or anything, like tell, telling a kid before they've experienced something that they're going to have a negative experience around it. Like to me, like you're just setting them up to dislike it. Like, why, why would you say that? Like, let them, let them figure out for themselves whether they like something or not. But I will say some of the people commenting also ask if your kids actually eat what you pack them in the bento box. They say, yeah, sure. It looks nice when you pack it, but 
What does it look like when it comes home? Sometimes the bento box comes home half full. And often, you know, sometimes it'll come back with one compartment completely untouched and everything else eaten. Some days it'll come back empty. Um, but, you know, really with, with kids, whether it's in a bento box or uh, a plate at home, uh, they don't have to finish everything you give to them, but you give them a variety of good choices. Um, and so long as they fill themselves with as much food as they need from among those good choices, then I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. So if the bento box comes back half full... I'm not bothered by that. So we talked with kids about lunch today. We talked with adults about their memories of school lunch. There's one more constituency that cries out for representation. The parents who are packing lunch for their kids today. And we put the call out to hear your stories on that front. That's a whole other ball game. And when I heard this story from Dennis and Frederick, Maryland, I knew I had to get Kenji's take. Back when my daughter was in late grammar and middle school, I was the lunch maker in the morning. At the time, my job required me to travel occasionally, so when I did, I would wait to exit the plane until most people had already done so. That way, I could collect a bunch of the barf bags from several seats. These became the lunch bags for my daughter for the next week or so, much to the amusement of both of us. Sure, I made really good lunches for her, but I thought the container would be more interesting. In my head, I imagine <laughs> if I was using a barf bag as a lunch sack for Alicia, I would serve her like a sack of chili or something. <laughs> Something that, like, when you put the bag down, it just plops, you know? (laughs) So here's a listener with a question. Mm -hmm. She's looking for some advice, Kenji. Okay. Hi, Dan. This is Katie from Winter Garden, Florida. School lunch in my house is an exercise in patience. I have twin third graders who are eight and are also completely different. My daughter is extremely picky and eats basically the same lunch every day. Fruit veggies, which usually come home after school, a fluff nutter, and a bag of chips. For me, this is terribly boring. I'm someone who looks forward to eating each meal, so this chosen monotony just blows my mind. My son, on the other hand, requires max creativity, something different every day. He's a mini gourmet. Anything from sushi to pasta salad, he prefers homemade bread to packaged, and will tolerate certain packaged pre-made items like Oreos or Cheetos. He will skip the bottled ranch dressing and say that homemade dressing is better, so why would he bother? So he leans much closer to my own preferences, but there's got to be a happy medium, right? I want to hear your response, but I just want to interject real quick to say that like, we can talk all about like what parenting strategies we think work better to get your kids to eat mm-hmm. more things, but the fact that she has twins... yeah. Growing up in the same household yes. shows you that, like, to some degree, different kids just have different eating habits, and there is no magical parenting trick that's going to get your kid to eat certain things if they not don't want to eat them right now. I personally, someone who now makes a career writing about food and who has a very diverse palate, I was a very picky eater, and it wasn't really until later in life that I started enjoying eating. And so I think the best thing to do is just like keep setting good examples. It looks like you and your son are already setting really good examples. And whether she starts eating those things next week or when she's 19 or 20 years old, like I was, I think that's probably the healthiest thing you can do is just set a good example and give her, give her good options at home. Yeah. I think that's good advice. And I would add, yeah, like I I wouldn't say that I was a picky eater growing up, but I wasn't especially adventurous. So I started working on this podcast, honestly. So similar to you, like when food started becoming my job and I was just sort of like ended up in situations where I was encouraged or given a bit more of an opportunity to try things. I sort of pushed myself to try more things and then eventually acquired a taste for them. I think that some parents get too worried about how much healthy food your kids are 
eating right now at a very young age. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of research that shows that you know, like really what matters is like learning healthy eating habits for the long haul. Right. And for the rest of your life, not necessarily are you eating 10 servings of vegetables a day at age two. Yeah. Or, or is every single plate perfectly balanced? Exactly. And so two key things that research has shown is number one, what are the parents eating? If kids see their parents eating vegetables over time, maybe not right away, but over time, they will eat more healthy foods, mm-hmm. more vegetables and have a more balanced diet as they grow older. Right. And the other thing is that kids, it's not uncommon for them to have to taste something 30 or 40 times before really learning to like it. So it's like always like, just like planting that in their head that like they should always be open to retrying things because, you know, taste taste change. And it does take a while to, to learn things, to learn to like something. It's like, it's like listening to a new album, you know, you gotta, gotta try it around a few times before it clicks. It sounds like Kenji, the other part of Katie's question is just Mm -hmm. that she's at her wit's end with her son who wants something new every day. (laughs) He must think that he lives in a Michelin star restaurant or something. I mean, I think that's also a little bit like, you know, it's okay to tell your kid, look, you're getting the same thing as yesterday. Like we're having leftovers for dinner. You know, maybe part of this is they're eight years old. Eight years old is old enough that they can, you know, really actively participate in the kitchen. And so maybe the trick is teaching them how to start cooking for themselves so that when they want something creative, they're in control of of adding that creativity to it. Kenji, before we move on, I want to tick through some sort of rapid fire bento box questions. Yeah. Because I, these are questions that I've seen a lot of folks ask, some listeners asked us. So we're gonna we're gonna work through this real fast. You ready? Yep. For foods that are normally served hot, like rice or pasta, are you packing them in the bento box straight from the fridge? Are you heating them up first? Foods that were initially served hot that you're going to serve as leftovers, they always taste better if they start hot and cool down to room temperature versus start from the fridge and warm up to room temperature. So I like to pack leftover foods. I like to get it really piping hot in the morning, throw it in the microwave, get it to like really piping hot, then pack it in the bento box. So by the time she eats it, like a couple hours later, it'll have cooled down. But things like rice, things like stews, soups, and you know, anything that was initially hot is going to have a much better texture and flavor if it starts out hot and cools down over the course of the morning, as opposed to just like packing it in cold and letting it warm up. Does it affect the rest of the stuff in the bento? Is there stuff that like, if you're going to put something hot in one compartment, mm-hmm. that you don't want to have a cold fruit or vegetable somewhere else, even if it's a separate compartment? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on on what bento box you have here. So I use the, you know, the bent go ones, which have um, these little silicone seals over the top. So they actually keep the foods separated pretty well. Um, by the time a kid eats their food uh, a few hours later, everything in there is going to be room temperature. So I don't really worry too much about, you know, like the keeping the hot side hot and the cool side cool. But, you know, I've definitely done things like put really hot rice with toppings in a con- in one section and then had like a piece of chocolate in the adjacent section and the chocolate doesn't melt or anything. Kenji says when he posts pictures of his kids' bento boxes, he gets a lot of questions about food safety. Is it okay to pack your kids' hot food that ends up sitting at room temperature for several hours until lunchtime? Kenji says he feels confident the food he packs will be safe. And I'll add that he has managed to keep his two kids alive for a combined total of eight years. But I should say that depending on when your kid has lunch, giving them food that sits at room temp can fall outside of the official FDA food safety guidelines. That being said, I generally agree with Kenji on this one. But of course, do whatever feels right for you. My next question for Kenji, what about leakage? Can you put liquidy items like a stew in a bento box? In general, one of the basic rules of a bento box is that you don't want to put super liquidy things in there. Or if you are going to put liquidy things, you want to also include like 
some kind of starchy thing in the same compartment to soak up that excess Something liquid. absorbent. Yeah, exactly. The times when liquidy things can leak, those when your kid is opening them up, the snaps like do require a little force. And so they, they pop up and down on the table. So then really like liquidy things will leak out. The other problem is that you want to train your kid how to properly seal them because early on, like I figured like she can just figure it out and I didn't really show her how to seal them, latch them properly. So they would come home like only half latched and then like a backpack soaked in soy sauce or something. Can you sort of rapid fire tick through some of your like favorite bento boxes? By far, my daughter's favorite bento box and one of my, one of the easiest to make is San Shokodon. So there's a recipe in my book in the walk, but it's essentially rice that has three toppings. It'll have this seasoned ground meat mixture. You season ground beef with ginger, soy sauce, mirin, and sake. And usually what I'll do is I'll make a big batch of that and then I'll just have it in the fridge or you can freeze it also. You microwave that ground beef mixture in the morning and then in the morning I'll make scrambled eggs for the kids. I'll reserve some of those scrambled eggs and that's the second topping for the rice. So ground beef, scrambled eggs. And then the third topping is just any kind of green vegetable. So usually it's frozen peas. So I'll put some frozen peas in a bowl and just pour boiling water over them so they defrost in a minute and those go straight on top of the rice. And usually paired with that, I'll have maybe like a little cucumber and tomato salad. I will have some fresh fruit and then I'll have some kind of like little Japanese crackers or a little Japanese treat for dessert. Another one that she loves is any kind of sort of like short tubular pasta shape. I'll often add like little diced potatoes or or like uh, blanched green beans, maybe like split cherry tomatoes in there. So something to add some color and some more vegetables. With that, normally we'll give her like a little bit of melon. Sometimes we'll do like a little bit of a salumi tasting. Like we might have some slices of salami or a little bit of ham if we have it and cheese. And then just some kind of like simple cooked vegetable. So it could be cooked broccoli, cooked asparagus. Um, So I put some Kewpie mayo in the dipping container and like mayo Mm. or broccoli cold with Kewpie mayo is always a hit. Oh, and then as far as like sort of the sandwich realm goes, so like I I like to do DIY kits where you put like maybe, yeah, I I mentioned doing like a bagel. So she does love like a bagel spread where you you put like a a quartered bagel in one compartment and then like some sliced salmon, some sliced cucumber, sliced tomatoes, a little bit of cream cheese, and then like maybe a little salad on the side. And finally, as a fourth one, one of her favorite ones that she requests frequently is is, uh, breakfast for lunch like a sausage and and scrambled eggs, maybe a pancake or some toast, then a bunch of fresh fruit. And then, you know, we'll do like carrot sticks or something like that as well. All right, those are good options. Now I I want you to make lunch for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye. That's Kenji Lopez-Alt. You can find his recipes and stories at the New York Times and Serious Eats. His most recent cookbook is The Walk, along with his first one, The Food Lab. Those are available wherever books are sold, and his cooking videos are on YouTube. He also started a new column with The Times where he's going to tackle your hard-to-answer cooking questions. So if you get a burning question, email him at askkenji at nytimes.com. Next week on the show, I talk with documentary filmmaker Curtis Chin. In his new memoir, he talks about growing up in Detroit, where his family owned a Chinese restaurant for generations. Curtis had to navigate life in 80s Detroit when the crack epidemic was at its peak and when anti-Asian violence was on the rise. He also had to figure out how to behave around his family while coming to understand that he's gay. His book is called Everything I Learned, I Learned in a Chinese Restaurant. It's a great conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. In the meantime, have some fun with comedians Natasha Leggero and Moshe Kasher. Last week, they gave me some crucial marriage advice. Listen to that episode. It's up now. This show is produced by me along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Editing by Nora Ritchie. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Alyssa from Jupiter, Florida, reminding you to eat more, eat better, 
and eat more better. 